one in one of my notes I wrote, okay, horny nuns, I get it. And then about 20 lines later, I wrote, okay, horny nuns, I don't get it. <laughs> You're still listening. This is our final transmission. Okay, we're here. How's it going, Jamie? We are here, Sam. It's going really well. How's it going, your end? Do you know what? Fucking fantastic, Jamie. Doing great. Good. Good to know. It's uh, it's December. Is your tree up? No. No, absolutely not. It's not. No. I think my tree goes up uh, first week of December. So I have a good sort of uh, a little bit, little bit of time to play with there. Although I am on tour. Uh, so I'm gonna have to sort my tree out before I leave. I think. What about you? Is your tree up? I mean, it's it it's up as of this episode airing. Okay. <laughs> so this this episode's gonna come out what on the thirteenth of December or something? Oh yeah, my tree's up. Yeah, yeah, my tree's yeah. up. Yeah. So I um I had to negotiate with Kaz. Uh, she wanted to put the tree up middle of November, and I no. was like, absolutely not. No. I said the fifteenth of December. She also said no to that, and we've settled on the 1st of December. That's that's very good compromise. I think uh no one could ever accuse you or me of being hardline masculine patriarchal dudes and I feel like you know, I think they probably could. <laughs> they they could fucking try. I mean go for <laughs> it. Spend 20 minutes with me in my in my home and you'll soon see that it's not the case <laughs> but when you when you put the tree up is it's important right it dictates the spirit of the season it goes up too early you fuck yeah it, it goes up too late it's a shambles like you got to get it right i think the first of december is totally reasonable yeah i think so too i i mean if it was up to me i wouldn't have a tree at all so oof so you're making a massive compromise absolutely you have a real tree if, um, no it's a it's a plastic right fella like a seven foot plastic fucker now oh, you got those high ceilings little flex there jamie little well, we got room know. for a seven footer no big deal yeah it goes at the bottom of the twin staircase you know <laughs> of course it does <laughs> doesn't interfere with the chandelier it's you know she yeah. offsets that rather nicely it's so funny uh christmas when you see like quote unquote working class people heading back to their family homes for christmas and it's big staircases chandeliers and they're fucking... driving home for christmas yeah Big glass of Pims with mummy, you know. Oh God, Pims at Christmas? No, 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 no. Oh, I don't know what nouveau riche bullshit. No, thank you. <laughs> I don't know what pot people drink, so that's that was it for me. What do you drink at Christmas? Um, the fuck are we talking about Christmas for? Because <laughs> it's December, Sam. Okay, what, um, do you, if, what do you? What's your go-to at Christmas, Jamie? What's your beverage of choice? Well, since celebrating November the thirteenth over on the Patreon with you, I now exclusively exist on a diet of prenog. <laughs> Um, five a day <laughs> yeah but uh i don't know beer yeah. I, i'm quite partial to a bucks fizz mm. on christmas christmas morn very nice do you make your um, own or do you get a bottle of bucks fizz do you do like an orange juice prosecco champagne thing or do you buy the the pre the pre-nogged version i think i think we do we do a bit of both because mm. you can get you can get a bottle of uh Buckos for like three, four quid. You could get a bottle of Bucks Fizz for three quid, and I think I could drink it in three minutes. <laughs> yeah. It's just like jumbo alco pop. See ya. Yeah. Well, we'll leave Christmas there, Sam. If okay. you want more Christmas from us, you have to subscribe to the Patreon where 
in the coming weeks, we'll be sharing some of our Christmasiest things with you. It's worth it even just for the one episode. If you're feeling Christmassy and you want to fucking knock the edge off with me and Jamie, come and have a pre-nog and let's talk uh, all things Christmas. All things Christmas. I mean, speaking of Christmas, what is more festive than our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, being fucked to death by a load of nuns? There's a huge argument for this being a Christmas movie. Uh, Today, of course... Fine friends and listeners, we are we are talking about the movie The Devils from 1971, and I hear tell on the uh, on the grapevine. I hear whispers in the cloisters that this is one of your all time favorite movies, Jamie. Yeah, this is top ten stuff. This is this is a real classic Jamie favorite. Would you like to tell all our listeners exactly what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Both you and I, Sam, are a big fan of a of a witch hunt. Absolutely, we love to we love to hunt those witches. We love to be hunted by the witches. We love to we, we love yeah. everything witch hunt related. Yeah, exactly. And so this is about as good a film about witch hunting that you're ever going to get. It is also worth mentioning, like a full kind of early in the episode disclaimer. We also both love nuns, so yeah, <laughs> it's a lot for us to chew on in this little flick. Yeah, I mean, I think this film might be instrumental in my nun love. Mm. I, I don't know how old I was when I first saw this. Probably too young to really appreciate what it was. But the the visual of gaggles of masturbating nuns. Is that the collective an, noun for a nun? <laughs> a I think it just instilled upon me a very specific kink. Let's say kink. Yeah, and I think... Uh... That is, for a, a budding young religious kinkist, this has formative qualities. I think uh, seeing it as an adult, it does nothing but cement my love of nuns. But I can imagine for you, it was uh, significantly earlier, earlier, earlier in the yeah. uh, in the process. Yeah, it's uh, whew. it's it's got nuns. It's got and they, nuns. And they do Holy they do shit. all kinds of ungodly stuff. They really do. And, you know, let's fucking just dive right in and say this movie was banned for a really long time for really good reasons. Yeah, well, it, it came out, but it was pretty heavily censored when it mm. first came out. It was given a real short shrift by critics who didn't really get it. Mm-hmm. It was pretty close to being considered sort of blasphemous and like you can see why but i think the things that people found the most sort of blasphemous about it were the things that are kind of real Mm. i mean we can get a bit more into that in a little bit Mm. why don't you give us a little synopsis holy fuck i'm not going to do a good job of this because i didn't really know what was going on uh but i know for a fact that this movie is set in france in the 17th century in uh, a walled city called Loudun. Loudun, yeah. Loudun. Loudun. You're going to hear some awful French pronunciation from me in this episode. I did GCSE German <laughs> for the record. So Loudun has a, a very corrupt uh, cardinal, Cardinal Richelieu, who wants all kinds of things to happen in the city that, that are not in the best interest of the residents. And there is a priest in the city called Urbain Grandier, uh, played by Oliver Reed, who takes a stand against this, and he takes quite a quite a violent stand against this. And in the process of rebelling against his oppressors, he is accused of various crimes, not just against the cloth, 
but against humanity. And he is summarily punished in a, a pretty spectacular climax um, of the movie. And it involves enormous amounts of, of non-nudity. Uh, that, those are my take-homes, and that's my plot summary. It's worth saying that um, Cardinal Richelieu is the is like trying to take over France as a whole rather than just Loudon, and is basically trying to destroy all of the walled cities or all of the places that self-govern in order to like instill like blanket law uh, from the state. And obviously, he's a cardinal, and so it's a, it's a, it's coming from a religious point of view. Very yeah. important points, and the <laughs> that I missed in my summary, and the the central conflict from really early on in the movie. As soon as we get our you know characters established, and we're given little nuggets of plot, it's it's a real church and state deal. It's yeah, it's it's hammered into you very early on in the first couple of scenes that there is a a pretty sickening melding of church and state happening before us, and that is not the mo of our quote unquote hero. Urbain Grandier, who wants that to not happen and is willing to sacrifice everything to stop it. Yeah, so he's a Catholic priest. Mm -hmm. I guess a priest, are all priests Catholic? Is that what a Catholic is called if they're a priest? I mean, more importantly, who fucking cares? Uh <laughs> well, I think the, the point I was making is that he is... Um, he is a Catholic priest. Yeah, he, he is... He's happy to govern the Protestants, the people that aren't religious. Like, he... He doesn't prescribe to the Cardinal's view that the Protestant should be run from the land. Mm -hmm. He's happy for the people to be the people and he'll he'll govern them in, in any way that he sees fit, really. He wants a more peaceful coexistence. He's not hung up on, you know, religious dickering uh, because he's a pretty loosey-goosey guy in some areas. Yeah. He loves fucking his flock. He <laughs> absolutely <laughs> loves, like, just general uh, indulgences of the flesh he's he's what you want to think of as like a cool priest you know the fucking yeah. the guy that comes and plays guitar in your school if it was urbane grandier you'd be pretty pumped yeah or you'd be being pumped you'd either be pumped or be pumped <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's take a little break and we'll come back and we'll get into the devils proper because i've got a lot of thoughts and feelings about this film sam and i want to know exactly what you think Oh, good job. Let's fucking, uh, let's have a little nap. Whoa! Holy shit. I guess that's why they call it Phantom Power. Hi, Jamie. Hi, Sam. A little Robin told me that you've got something special out for Christmas. Is that true? A little red-breasted, loose-lipped Robin has been talking to you. Yeah. It flew in my window, landed on my shoulder, and said, Sam's released a special Christmas uh, record, 7-inch, with some amazing artwork and two great, great songs on it. That's good work from the robin uh not paying that robin enough yes <laughs> i put out a seven inch this festive season uh it's out on red scare industries it's called mistletoe pier and it has two very christmasy holiday themed festive jams uh for your listening pleasure you can pick it up uh, in the uk on my web store you can pick it up from redscare.net you can get it on bandcamp for two bucks and you can stream it everywhere you stream music it's really good i recommend that you do it i heard the songs back in 
I don't know, was it like August or something when you first recorded them? And I was yeah, like, recorded in June, sent them straight to you. Yeah, and I was like, this is amazing. But now I can listen to like all the plebs, and it just sounds it sounds even better. It's seasonally appropriate. It's wonderful. You'd probably still enjoy it in March, but yeah, get on it now. I mean, the only thing that makes it a Christmas song is saying Christmas in the first line. Uh, <laughs> the rest of it is just my usual, you know, misery. So if you enjoy misery, get stuck in. Is Mistletoe Pier a real place? No, absolutely not. The songs were written uh, and inspired by Chroma Pier, okay. uh, which is less romantic sounding. Yeah, so it's a fiction. I've been lied to once again by fucking Sam Russo. My gift to you this festive season, a whole pack of lies. Uh, enjoy yourself. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Uh, and yeah, listen to it. It's really good. It's really, really good. Thanks. And back to the show. So. The Devils. So yeah, directed by Ken Russell, who is an incredible visual storyteller mm-hmm. and an absolute fucking liability. <laughs> yeah, couldn't have summarised it better myself. He's quite good at a lot of stuff and quite mental. Yeah, I think I remember seeing a documentary years ago about this film with uh, Mark Kermode on it. And I'm pretty sure that he just calls the censors cunts. I saw something very similar. Commode has a lot to say about this movie and is a pretty staunch advocate of, you know, stripping away a lot of the censorship, releasing the original cut and basically like any kind of public apology <laughs> forever, like <laughs> stuffing this uh, in the no-no zone. So yeah, that, that seems to be uh, a cause that he fights for. And yeah, I think um, a serious distaste for all censorship from Mr. Russell. Yeah. So this, this film is based on a true story. There really was a witch trial in Loudon in the 17th century. And Father Grandier was burnt at the stake. The, 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 there was a, a sort of a novelization, a sort of fictionalized account of it written by Aldous Huxley, which mm-hmm. is what this film is mostly based on with a lot of Ken Russell's feverish insanity spaffed throughout it. I mean, I think a lot of the amazing dialogue comes from a literary angle, doesn't it? There's, there's very, there's very little in this movie that is, you know, earthy, gritty, and believable. It's very, it's got a real kind of magical realism edge to it, and the dialogue is fucking phenomenal. Yeah, my, my favorite piece of dialogue in the film. Go on. It's it's just such a little funny moment. It's so funny when he's just had sex with that courtier's daughter. Yeah. And they're lying there and they're just sort of chatting and she's like, I'm pregnant. And he just sort of turns away and goes, and it is done. <laughs> like, okay, this is over now. See you later. <laughs> he just leaves. Yeah, what a buzzkill. <laughs> There's so much great dialogue though. There's a man worth going to hell for. Yeah, destroy me, I love you. <laughs> Pretty great. Uh, I wrote down, take away my hump. That's a great line. Yeah. <laughs> I really enjoy... Even the most innocent lamb is destined for the lusty goat. <laughs> I feel um, like that might be, that might find its way in a little Sam Russo song. I fucking hope so. I think um, one of my favorite like line deliveries is uh, the question, what form does this incubus take? And Vanessa Redgrave just screams cock. It's <laughs> great. Cock! Uh, so many good lines. We need a professional witch hunter. You know, it really does like 
fly from the utterly ridiculous to the, you know, fucking memorably poetic. And yeah, obviously that's coming from a, a Huxley place. Yeah, I yeah. think like the, the the stars really aligned on this. Like you've got this sort of fictionalization by Aldous Huxley. You've got you've you've got Ken Russell giving all of his insanity, like he always does. He never dials it back. He can't mm. do that. You've got the production design by Derek Jarman, who obviously goes on to be a director very much in that Ken Russell space. Um super queer, super feverish again. And, and then you've also got the DOP, um, David Watkin, who can only make incredibly sumptuous uh, visual feast type movies. Some of my favorites of his, he directed, uh, he was DOP on the Beatles movie Help, mm-hmm. uh, Chariots of Fire, Return to Oz, like films that just have. Return to yeah, Oz is amazing. Just like films that have a real strong sense of place despite being really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Films that aren't like other films, visually. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, Oz has that to the max. It doesn't feel like a real place, but it's totally real for the time that you're there. Like, yeah. that's perfect for a movie like that and perfect for this. You're right. I think that's a collaboration that is born in, you know, total fucking mad alchemy that creates a movie that could only exist in one possible timeline. Like there's no alternative universe version of this movie. It just is what it is. Um, And that is definitely part of the master artistry of it. You know, whether or not you enjoy this movie, whether or not you find it satisfying or entertaining, you can't fucking deny that it's a bit of a bloody masterpiece. It definitely is. And like the way that it all just comes together, like the sets, it was all filmed on like the, a backlot at Pinewood. Which is nuts. Insane. Like some of the sets are so huge in scope. Mm. It looks like Metropolis, like Fritz Lang vibes, yeah. sort of super German expressionist stuff happening. Everything is in straight lines, but all the people are really sort of rounded and ugly mm-hmm. to show how they don't really fit in the in the environment. It feels obviously really modern, even though it's obviously the 70s and they're the film takes place in the 1700s in the 17th century but it's so it's i find that so clever and so appealing because it's you know nobody's making a deliberate effort to make a gritty medieval scene here that you believe is 100 what it was like to be alive in medieval france they're saying here's our fucking artistic version of it and if you don't like it fuck you because it's beautiful I mean, it is beautiful. It's so beautiful to look at. Yeah. And there's there's so much insane, weird stuff that happens. Mm-hmm. Everything, everything with the king is so odd. Yeah. A very strange opening to a movie, for sure. Yeah. The whole Venus coming out of the conch or whatever. Yeah. All very bizarre. And yeah, you're right. Very mixed messages in those king scenes. I didn't really know what I was supposed to feel. I felt a little bit uneducated, like I was missing a key message from the period. <laughs> but yeah. then as the movie progresses, you realize that's not it at all. It's just, you know, fucking really artsy. And it's creating, rather than sending a, a codable message, it's just creating an atmosphere that's going to pop up and fuck with you later on. And I, I found that really quite fun to just go with the flow. I don't know an awful lot about Louis XIV. Mm apart from the fact that he was a decadent king in the way that you sort of imagine French kings to be in this time period. Is there like anything a, more decadent than a French king? <laughs> like literally, like with the white with the white face and yeah. the and the and the, the, the mole on the top lip or whatever. Yeah. Like that's that's just how I picture 
French kings, all yeah. of them. Who is it that plays Mozart in um, Amadeus? But like that sort of style of like super flamboyant. Obviously, Mozart isn't a French king, but you know what I mean. <laughs> he's a French king to us. But yeah, like the scene where he's shooting people dressed as crows. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that's for. Is it? I mean, I guess we're supposed to see that like what Cardinal Richelieu wants is like a return to religious insanity. Mm. Like the uh, he wants to put an end to all this sort of decadence and free thought. And obviously the king isn't interested in that because the king is a big screaming Blackadder-style ponce. Yeah, but he seems very removed from the debate almost. He's, he's unaffected. He just sort of dips yeah. in to sort of revel in the chaos for a bit and then dips back out. And that, that's what I found uh, slightly difficult in the movie is just how much the chaos is embraced by almost everybody except Grandier. Yeah. Like it's it's bizarre to me that this is the outcome that they all wanted. <laughs> it's very strange. <laughs> but I, I guess, you know, we're supposed to be capturing a moment in the plot. Not It's not like a microcosm of the society they want. It's just the necessary evil to get to where they want to be, which is probably a lot more rigidly controlled. Yeah, well, I guess like... Everybody wants to get involved because it's fucking fun to watch a load of nuns writhing around yeah. on the floor. And so really is, yeah. all the people that come to watch all of this insanity, they're there for the show. Like yeah. I, I feel like this is a movie about rock stars, right? Like Grandier is a rock star. Right. Father Barre is a rock star. Yeah. Like he's even like shot like a rock star. He's got that long scraggly hair. He's got like the John Lennon glasses. Dude, the only thing that pulled me out of this movie was his look i just he just looks like he's the only actor in the movie everyone else I, f- <laughs> I feel like looks totally legit and he's like he's fucking that's amateur dramatics he just didn't change his hair <laughs> he just <laughs> and, and um... tragic right michael gothard um took his own life and had yeah. a very troubled troubled career and troubled life and everything and he is fucking great in this but holy crap, get a wig on the guy. Like, he just looks like a fucking 70s beatnik. What is happening? Changes. Well, that, that's the point, though, right? Like, that's what yeah, we're yeah. doing. Yeah. Have you seen, like, much else that he's been in? He was in Life Force, which is obviously great. He was in a, yeah, I've seen Life Force, but that's it. I think I checked the IMDb, and I think that's literally it. He was in a, a, a version of um, Frankenstein that came out in the 90s with Randy Quaid as Frankenstein's monster. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> oh, my God. I'm looking at it right now. I'm watching that this Christmas. He, um, Randy Quaid as Frankenstein's monster is so funny. He looks like Frasier. It's like. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tell me nothing because this is going on the fucking list. Holy crap. I can, I can get away with it as a Christmas movie. Randy Quaid is a noted Christmas hero. So, I mean, yeah. you know, cinematic hero. Obviously, he's a piece of shit, but. He's Cousin Eddie. Like, he's exactly. the Christmasiest man alive. Exactly. Shitter's full. Um, more of that on our Patreon episode. Join us on Patreon for a mere not much money. Yeah, you're right. I mean, he's he's great. But uh, uh, yeah, and they are giving us a lot of coded messages with his appearance. And yeah, I, I get the Rockstar thing completely. I think you're totally on something there. The space that Oliver Reed takes up in this movie. Like, have you, have you ever watched like, I don't know, old episodes of Parkinson or whatever where Oliver Reed is on? I've watched loads of interviews with him over the years, yeah. He's an absolute fucking... Liability is the only word, he's right? A, he is a problem. Anywhere he goes, <laughs> he is way less a guest or an interviewee, interviewee than he is a problem for everybody there. He's just a drunk shagger 
Like that's yeah. that's all he is. And like he's a blowhard, he's a nightmare, he's a sex pest. Yeah. He's a raging alcoholic, but yeah. fucking hell, he is one hell of an actor. I mean, he, he, the amount of shit that people put up with from him in their lives and in their professional careers, it does genuinely melt away when you see the final quarter to a third of this movie. It's like, yeah. holy fuck, that's why you were the way you were, because you could back it up. You're not yeah. Randy Quaid. <laughs> You're not making everyone's <laughs> life difficult. And then He's fucking Randy, though, isn't he? Well, yeah, lukewarm piss of a performance. You are fucking show-stopping. And he obviously knew it, you know? That's, yeah. That's how he got away with it. And, you know, a guy who gets, like, bottled in the face and his his career as a, a facial actor continues to just fucking go upwards from there. <laughs> like, absolutely incredible career. Totally wild personal life. Ridiculous tales of drunken debauchery and consumption. But at the end of the day, oh, fucking hell, it's hard to even... There is literally nothing I would criticize about his performance in this movie. I think, like, I, you hear a lot of stories from sets, um, not necessarily this one, but sets with Oliver Reed on them, where mm. he they basically have to shoot all his shots by noon because he's pissed at that point. He's too drunk by yeah by like fucking tea break, and he's yeah. just out drinking with all the fucking union guys, and then he's out drinking with anyone who just happens to walk on set. You know, just like randos, people on studio tours. You find him drinking in the back of a bus with a bunch of people who were just there to look around. <laughs> like it's unbelievable. Few British actors have the the legend like Oliver Reed. Yeah, there's a lot in that ballpark. But he, you know, as soon as you bring up that name, it's like yeah, everyone else just kind of disappears. And you know, whether you love or hate that, regardless, this performance is absolutely unfuckwithable. Yeah. Other notable performances in this, obviously Vanessa Redgrave as Sister Jan. Yeah, again, no notes. Holy crap. It's the best I've seen her do. Like, it's incredibly moving. You absolutely love her. You absolutely hate her. It's it's a rocket to the moon of a performance. Incredible. So critics of the time hated it. They thought Mm. that she just wasn't doing anything, just sort of shrieking. Which, you know, she does a lot of shrieking. Yeah, sure. There's a lot going on in, around, and between those shrieks. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Nuns, humpbacks, I'll take anything, you know? <laughs> I mean, her entrance is the most visually arresting, I think, moment in the movie because we, we it's when we see this uh, kind of white, tile, black, grout sort of nunnery that's half underground, yeah. and she emerges through this archway with her head tilted to one side, and you think... Oh, that's low. And then she keeps her head tilted that way and you realise that she's deformed. And just the way that she comes into the movie is so dripping with this like sexually charged menace in none form that you're you're immediately just like devouring everything she's doing on screen with your eyes and ears. I, I wanted to know everything about her, including backstory. I would have taken like a massive waffly exposition labeled monologue it just to get the scoop on this character she for me she's more interesting than than grandier i i think she's the linchpin of the movie she's the the agent of chaos she's this weird like devil angel combo i don't know i love everything about the performance i'm probably saying nothing new there but she's fucking amazing yeah it's it's incredible isn't it it's like strange and sensual and horrific mm. and repressed and nightmarish she's just doing everything 
I cannot tolerate a criticism of that performance. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but if you reduce that to just shrieking, you're missing all the bits where she's, you know, she's drying Oliver Reed's feet with her hair one minute, and then she's crying. She's spitting in someone's face and calling them a whore. She's being like violated in front of a massive crowd of people by religious, like orthodox religious psychopaths. She's responding to that with like catatonia. She's sort of semi sequestering and imprisoning herself and then refusing to be imprisoned. And, you know, all of this she's doing with some of the classiest, perfectly pitched performance pieces I've seen in, in not just in a horror movie, but, you know, there's, there's a big argument in itself that this isn't a horror movie or horror movie performances care. It's, you know, I don't see her doing better in her career than this. I think it's such a fucking showcase, like a tour de force of her range. It's phenomenal. Yeah. The moment when you realize that something fucky is happening in this film is after everybody's all watching Grandier walk down the street or whatever. Mm. And she like calls down Sister Agnes and all the others to stop being so fucking horny. Yeah. And then just takes herself off to a little oubliette for a wank. Wankliette. Yeah, you know, you know immediately that you're going to be shown things and taken to places in this movie that would otherwise be totally behind closed doors or that would just be hinted at with some shitty pulled punch cinematography. So you're in, or I'm in anyway. Yeah. I can't say if anyone else is in, but, you know, so far up until that point, we've seen like the maggotiest corpse in existence, which was phenomenal. We've seen, we've seen sex, conflict, church and state we're battered with all these themes immediately and then we have masturbating nuns like you want to talk about escalation it's quick fire in the beginning of this movie right yeah it is and it never stops escalating and it yeah. never stops being super deeper intense yeah it's a very steady boil to a borderline intolerably tense climax um i think one in one of my notes i wrote okay horny nuns i get it and then about 20 lines later, I wrote, okay, horny nuns, I don't get it. <laughs> really trying to figure out what was going on. We see some really good plague stuff too, in yeah. terms of the the more horrific aspects of this movie. Obviously, like every aspect of the the thematic side of this film is is horrific. If you if you care even slightly about, you know, uh religious zealotry, oppression, religious trauma, uh the, the wake of religious atrocities that we're all living in now and that are still happening in the world it is straight up horror but you know it's it's a really tense thrill ride too what what are the other sort of genre tropes in this movie that you would pick out as being useful to a viewer well in, in a in a horror sense or just generally like it, it feels like it fits so neatly into medieval art horror for me but there's so much yeah. more going on right it's it's always hard to pin down a ken russell film mm. uh, as as any one thing because he was never interested in making a horror film mm. or making a a drama or a thriller or whatever his films are just artistic expressions of absolute insanity yeah they're more like statement pieces than genre flicks you know yeah absolutely i think my first ken russell film was tommy mm-hmm I think I was maybe 10 Oof. and my mum, my mum was a bit of a rock fan. So she like had, and would play the who album Tommy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, I like this. And I think she made me just watch the film and it's 
not appropriate for a child, obviously. It really isn't, dude. <laughs> but once again, much like the masturbating nuns and Margaret in a bath of beans, that, that sticks in the psyche, you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. So now, you know, sloshing nuns, anything else, that'll do. Um, <laughs> that'll do. There's no way our, our friend, friend of the pod, Danny Filth, has not seen and devoured this movie, by the way. 100%. Yeah. Danny, if you're listening, which I know you are, obviously. Always listening. Hi, Danny. Always listening. In between the walls. Yeah. I mean, I once saw lesbian nuns masturbate with crucifixes on stage at a Cradle of Filth show, so I'm pretty sure he's seen it. <laughs> yeah. Well, obviously, nunsploitation becomes a big genre in the in the late 70s, mostly in Italy, because, you know, they'll do anything. Yeah. Anything, uh, anything for a book. Is it true that anyone who participated in this movie, like especially top build cast, directors, production staff, were threatened with imprisonment if they even went to Italy in the wake of this movie's release? I read that online. I'm not sure how true that is. I've read that as well. Mm. But it's fucking fun, isn't it? Yeah. Obscenity charges for, for blasphemous cinema. Is there a yeah. higher honour? I don't know. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. incredible, right? It's one degree away from Ruggiero Dato, isn't it? Being almost in prison for making <laughs> for actual kind of murder. A holocaust. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. I mean, I feel like while this movie lays out its stall pretty early, visually, in terms of messaging, in terms of the strength of performance and everything else, it does find a way to just constantly one-up itself and escalate and yeah. escalate and escalate. And that I find really impressive. I like that in a movie, generally speaking. But normally, I'm more a fan of a subtle escalation or a character-based build. Uh, whereas with this, it's just, in many ways, uh, this movie is reminiscent of Street Trash. <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly what Ken Russell was going for. <laughs> uh, I mean, it just has like, I don't know if this is a cinematic technique. For somebody who, you know, was very nearly a film studies teacher, I think this is fucking blasphemous in and of itself. But the way that you escalate tension with, you know, repeated revulsion and disgust and just in you know provoking those reactions in your audience it must have a fucking name and i bet it's you know it's probably like a, a master stroke for a lot of directors to pull it off but it's so effective in this film right mm, yeah it really is i think i mean i would disagree that the escalation isn't also character based there's a there's a huge escalation in grandier's character obviously as as the world around him gets more fucked mm. he becomes more religious more pious like he starts to understand his faith because he's been forced into this role where he has to care for an entire town obviously he was just the priest until the whatever they call the mayor is dies of the plague mm. and, and then is forced to like take up that mantle as he also meets a woman that he actually loves and realizes that you know fucking everyone that will come near him is maybe not a great idea i don't really relate but yeah so then obviously he's he's sort of becoming more stable and more christian mm. and exuding more and more of these christian values while the christians around him the nuns and the the people the, the witch finders and everyone are becoming more and more unhinged it's like that that juxtaposition is what is what drives that escalation in a really sort of nice grounded way obviously it's insane and it ends with Obviously, the scene that's cut, or the the culmination of that scene that's cut, where the nuns go absolutely bonkers. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know if you you have the same DVD as me, don't you? Like the uh, the BFI one. Yeah, I think I do. And the scene that scene is like commonly referred to as the rape of Christ scene, right? Yeah. Did you watch the special features? The that scene. I didn't watch all of the special features, but I watched a critical summary of them that told you what got cut, and my fucking jaw was on the floor. <laughs> yeah. So that rape of Christ scene. Yeah. Is insane. <laughs> Obviously. It's the the natural culmination of everything that's happening before it, and yeah. the way it's cut in the the final film is a little bit different to how it how it would have been cut had it stayed in the film. Because obviously, the moment of like Grandier taking communion and blessing his wine and stuff mm. comes slightly before that. But in in the in that in the cut where that scene exists, it's intercut. So it's like Grandier is sat by a mountain blessing his bread. And then it cuts to loads of fucking nuns running running wild, running amok. Right. Cuts back to him blessing his wine, holding his bread up and stuff. And they go and pull down the statue of Christ and start using the various extremities of it to make themselves come. Mm. While uh, Father Mignon, who is meant to be the, the person that we believe is like the most pious person, yeah. climbs up a massive ladder and watches everyone while he wanks. <laughs> Like under his robes, it's like That's what I mean, dude. Like no stone unturned in terms of depravity in this movie. Yeah. But I, I'm really interested and glad to hear your read of that because I didn't I didn't get that. Like I missed a lot of Grandier's development, especially as like mm. a first time viewer. Because he is absent for big chunks of the movie where I feel like he's fucking crucial. And that cut makes more sense to me. You know, that direct intercutting show in his like newfound or rediscovered piety next to everyone else's insane levels of de- public decadence. That makes more sense. But I, yeah. I just had a different read. I just saw him as quite unlikably hypocritical for a large chunk of the movie. And then mm. I wasn't 100% sold on his love. The I'm not, I don't, not the how genuine his love was, but I didn't know how much of that relationship was, uh, I don't know, contrived or born out of guilt. I was sort of struggling a little bit with with his motivation, generally speaking. And I don't like how little, not how little, I, I want more of him in the movie, I think. And I want his character to carry a little bit more of a load in terms of the, the growth and the development of the really important plot points. But yeah, I like your read on it big time. Unfortunately, he's given all of those loads out. He has distributed some serious loads <laughs> in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't sure if in previous watches, or just in general, really, whether that relationship that he builds and then he obviously marries this girl, whether that's like she's she's so religious that she won't have sex with him out of wedlock. It, yeah, it's still also born out of his, you know, fucking of his parishioners, like... She comes yeah. to the confession and he ends up fucking and marrying her. Like, I don't know, man. I, st- there's a, I think there's a lot you could say about the character. We could be here all day analyzing the character. But the bottom line for me is that I, I just don't see enough of him in the midsection of the movie to sort of contextualize what's going on around him or, or to have him as like mm. a linchpin for for the, the chaos. The chaos feels over chaotic because it doesn't have a central character fighting or standing up against it for a chunk of time. Well, I think his absence is a, is is a choice. Mm. The idea that all these stories are spreading about him while yeah. he's not there to defend himself is mm-hmm. is part of that melting pot of insane ideas and being able to to metastasize as the, as they do. 
into him ultimately being unable to refute anything that anyone said because everything has a bullshit explanation by Father Barry. Yeah, and he he's he's not in a position to defend himself if he's not there. You're right. Yeah, like I I, I agree. I, I mean, I would obviously just love more Ollie Reed in this movie. I would love yeah. to see. I'd watch a prequel show of <laughs> Father Grandier just you know giving sermons and laying pipe. Laying pipe. <laughs> yeah, I again, it's 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 just gluttonous on my part to just want more of him. It probably wouldn't work in the movie, but there were big chunks of the movie that felt quite dry, and he just brings it to life the second he steps on screen. So, um, yeah, I think I mean we get so much great dialogue when he's not around. You know these fucking absolute dumb shit bumbling uh i don't even know what they are the two guys who do all the torturing but also a lot of the medicine and also a lot of the like autopsy type work and you know those guys keep it silly and there's a lot of lightness about their performance that that fits perfectly with our sense of humor i think like the darkest shit possible there's a great bit where those guys are examining the vomit of the nuns after making them vomit and they're they're saying the things that they find in there so they say that they they think that the nuns have been eating babies because they find bits of baby in there then they find bits of men in there then they find semen and then they find carrots and it is just funny like it's just a really good gag and there's a lot of that nuns you know wanking off candles just like lots of slapstick sexual humor there's so much more of the candle wanking in the cut uh, rape of Christ scene. I thought there might be, but there's so much that's really overtly <laughs> pornographic and sexual as well. There's there's bits where he, um, I think it's uh, Father Barry is just like putting two and three fingers in and out of a nun's mouth while she's writhing around on the floor. It's like straight up pornographic, uh, and it knows exactly what it's doing to you when it's doing that. All these nuns are yeah. writhing around in a pit. Uh, we don't know if they're going to be executed. We don't know if they're going to be burnt alive. We don't know if there's going to be some sort of like fake exorcism that happens. All we know is that we're witnessing the like absolute debasement and complete downfall of their faith, basically. Yeah. So people that would be nuns uh, around this time, these kind of sort of closed convent nuns, mm. were basically the dregs of society they were like the most uneducated the most unmarriable women in like that sort of society Mm. but yeah they 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 would they would not be very intelligent so and they would also i mean it's shown in the film that they are basically horny for any man Mm. that that kind of rings true and so they would be a bit more suggestible they would be a bit more inclined to go along with these sorts of things because it means that they get a pat on the head and a tummy rub or whatever. Like they, they get a little bit of celebrity off the back of it. Mm. I I don't know. So I've not read the book, The Devils of Ludon. So I don't know what happens. But the book doesn't end with Grandier dying. There's more. There's more book after that. Right. So it'd be interesting to know what what happens to those nuns. Yeah, maybe that's a little homework task for us. Yeah. I mean, what happens in the film in a cutscene after Grandier dies oh, is boy. that is that what's his name goes to Sister Jeanne and throws like a burnt bit of his femur and she uses it to make herself come. Which again, I read about that 
and I just slowly applauded in an empty room by myself. Like, that's yeah. such a strong statement. The only time that the two of them have physical contact. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. If you, Yeah, okay, listen. If there's any nuns out there listening who have masturbated with the charred femur of a priest, get in touch and tell your story. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there are as many of those listening as there are Danny Feltz. <laughs> and if one is listening, so is the other, guaranteed, because he's got it on in his kitchen. Um, th- this, I, I really, I, I know I keep going back to it, but I really think the dialogue is the thing that hooked me most in this movie, which is insane because of the visuals. Everybody yeah. loves how this movie looks. I'll be totally honest. I respect the craft. I respect the fucking statement pieces. The visuals are like absolutely inarguably beautiful. I didn't like it. It wasn't my taste, <laughs> but the dialogue was so up my street. It was unbelievable. There's nothing I love more than like frank, crushing, poetic, medieval misery. And this movie ticked every box I have in that department. Just superb. There's a bit where Grandier says something like, um, he's talking about something like what he's doing in hell. And he says, Walking on a living pavement of aborted bastards. <laughs> it's too good. It's too good. He 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 just has this way of delivering lines like that that maybe yeah. wouldn't work from other actors. But when he's being tortured or when he's about to be burnt at the stake, he just says, I dread pain. And he's really honest in the delivery and it just comes across as so sincere. I mean, for me, that was the one of the strongest parts of the movie is the, the writing and the delivery of those fairly difficult lines that are just made wholly believable by the performances and I believe me I'm acutely aware that it's insane to not love how this movie looks because I know everybody does (laughs) I think it's so like bombastic and like insane to look at and that fucking score it's worth talking about the score as well Jesus Christ like it's so horrible but it's so perfect exactly and that's kind of how I feel about the whole movie it's yeah it's like insufferably beautiful (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's it's like i mean we talk about things falling down the stairs quite a lot but it's like a orchestra and a jazz band falling downstairs simultaneously yeah and it's it's all the kind of stuff in jazz that i find that i wish i could tell you i liked just to be yeah. pretentious but that i don't i don't like that sound <laughs> it's fucking constant in those chaos scenes it's really brutal but give it chops it fucking it's woven in in such a way that you don't even realize it's happening until you're just about to lose it and then it stops. I think it's yeah. masterful. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's all timed so perfectly, isn't it? Like yeah. you say, it's like they know exactly how far to push it, but it never goes too far unless, I don't know, you're the Vatican, in which yeah. case you maybe think it went too far ages <laughs> ago. But it's weird, right? Because we're a modern audience. We're we're modern movie viewers. Uh I, I wouldn't class myself as a, you know, particularly fucking smart movie guy. And mm. it is pitched perfectly for me in terms of like what I am able to tolerate. I'm different to a movie viewer in the mid 70s. Do you know what I mean? It it just has this like timeless cleverness to it that seems to work on every level for most viewers. It's really clever. Yeah, well, it, it's that the dialogue as well is so well written that it's really it really lands where it wants to land, mm. and it's really fucking funny when it wants to be funny. Yeah. And like sometimes it's funny because it's so insane what's happening, but sometimes it's funny because it's funny. Like yeah. the crocodile in that fucking plague scene is 
so funny. It's hysterical. I, I thought like, because that's so early in the movie, Oliver Reed like wrestling a crocodile out from a plague-ridden woman who's about to die and hurling it out the window and then fighting a bunch of guardsmen with it. Like, I thought, is he going to be a funny character in this? Is this going to be like a silly, is he going to be a foil? What is happening? For that to be your early portrayal of your hero, your guy who is like, delivers one of the most moving monologues in cinema at the end of the movie and is ultimately burnt at the stake for being too fucking rad. That's such a fucking clever thing to do, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's worth saying as well that the two best movies of the 70s, mm. Both end with a guy shouting and then burning to death. What is the other one, Jamie? It's the Wicker Man. Oh, okay, cool. I thought you were going to say, uh, I don't know what I thought you were going to say, but there's a lot of fucking parody here with Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which came out after this. <laughs> so blatantly an influence on the silly boys. Yeah. It's just, it's so funny. It's yeah. so funny. How can you be this funny? Why are you allowed to be this funny when you're making a film about burning people at the stake for being witches. Yeah, it's a lost art, right? Being clever, funny, and artistic. Uh, you know, you just yeah. don't, you're not allowed to do that anymore. It exists, but there's no money in it. Like the script, it could be like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. It's like, it's that level of like farcical humor. Yeah. Oh, but when it, when it lands seriously, it really lands as well. Like, all of the monologues that, that um, Ollie Reed gives are insane. Yeah. It makes me want to go back to when I would do monologues when I was in like college or whatever. Yeah. So I could do some of these monologues. It's fiery. It feels empowering. It's really moving. It's, you know, even though, you know, uh, listen, it takes a lot for me to look up to a priest in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you really, really root for the guy. Like, especially like, because he's such a flawed, crooked priest, like everyone's least favorite kind of priest. And, you know, put him in some of these situations in the movie, and I dare you to take your eyes away. Like, he's fucking so magnetic. Yeah, the strength of the performance is unreal. I mean, I think I'm right in saying he said this was his favorite movie performance that he ever gave, right? I mean, I can't imagine being in this movie and not saying it was the best movie that I was in. And again, weird, because I can't honestly say that I loved the movie. I just have so much respect for the artistry involved in it. Like, it's such a strong piece of cinema. It's fucking undeniable. And the fact that it was so heavily censored and removed from, you know, just sort of like audiences were deprived of being able to experience this movie is fucking criminal. You know, those are the people that should be banged up for going anywhere near Italy, not the fucking the people who made it. That's absurd. Yeah, People were scared of it because because of what it represented. Yeah. And like because of what it was trying to say, which is like religion has no business being anywhere near government. Yeah. One of the bravest things in the film is that everybody that's in any position of power knows that this is all bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. Immediately drop the pretense as soon as the, the right people aren't listening. <laughs> yeah, it's like everybody, and even the right people, the king, yeah. the, the, the other guy whose name I can't remember, who is sort of very involved in the witch hunt stuff. What's his name? Is it Mignon? Labu? No, not Mignon. Mignon is the only one that seems to really believe it until the Rape of Christ scene when he, you know, wanks off. Thing is, you can still believe it and wank. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's uh, Labardemon. He's oh, right. like, he knows that it's all nonsense from the beginning, but he knows that it's going to get him what he wants. 
Yeah. And the king is like, I know this is all bullshit when he when he sort of turns up in that very shit disguise. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> just a pantomime mask. Yeah. And he's just like, this is all nonsense, obviously, but I'm the king inside. I don't care. Yeah, it's when I'm they're gonna... so brazen as they're like, this is why we're doing this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are doing this to achieve this. You know, that's that's the really fun dastardly side of it and and you're right like when i said at the top it was banned for all the right reasons obviously i mean all the worst reasons possible <laughs> like, yeah you know this is this is saying really valid astute things about the relationship between religion and government and fuck me like if you're censoring that you are the enemy not just of yeah. the final transmission podcast but of humanity <laughs> like that is <laughs> such scum behavior it hurts and you're just you know strike me down and I will become more powerful. That's all you're doing is giving this movie an even bigger platform and a brighter spotlight to just be right and to be righteous. And that's fucking, that's your fuck up, friend. Well, like that, that is true. But also a lot of people didn't get to see the, the film. Maybe, I mean, probably a lot of people died before they got to see this film. Yeah. And certainly a lot of people died who watched this film when it came out who then didn't get to see the the rape of Christ scene when that was rediscovered in 2002 or whatever. Yeah. They did their job. They 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 got people's eyes away from it. They yeah. got maybe people talking about it because obviously I mean it was very controversial but obviously it was very popular as well. Mhm. I mean it, it didn't do particularly well on its initial run, but I don't know if you would call it a cult hit, but it's obviously It's it's hard, isn't it? Because it feels like it's been repressed to the extent that it's I mean, it's critically pretty roundly received positively, right? I haven't read anything that says like, nah, it's all pretentious bullshit. It sucks. Most most people are on like the five plus rating at least. And normally it's clocking in around like an eight, nine. Yeah, I think modern critics, critics mm. in the 70s when it first came out were like, this is bunk, mate. This yeah. is blasphemous bunk. Yeah, yeah, I guess. There's definitely a part of me that gives credence to the idea that people are a little bit over the top in their praise. Because I didn't love it personally, I can I can see semi-objectively where uh, people do ladle on the artistic praise, where it's maybe not. Well, it's maybe a justification for some you know slight weaknesses in some aspects of the movie. But you'd have to be a fucking lunatic to not call this a classic in so many respects. You know, it's yeah. If you're going to call Street Trash a classic, <laughs> you've got to call The Devils a classic. Well, I reckon the, the critics that called this shit probably didn't like street trash right i mean I, yeah i yeah it's it's really hard to kind of take this movie and just have like a simple opinion of it i think because it is such a complex yeah. layered bizarre funny frightening politically you know important movie so it is hard to kind of boil down but more than anything i love medieval horror and i would class this as medieval horror i think it takes all the things that are scariest about that period of time turns it into like an art piece exploring that in depth and detail with really compelling characters and great performances and that maketh a fucking good time it's a hard watch it like you said it, it incorporates all these themes that we love witchcraft heresy you know witch hunting these like medieval stake burning and torture and all these things that really fucking you know get us going as, as movie viewers but it's not pleasant is it it's not it's not the the fun side of of no of that stuff no it's it's not 
Vincent Price as Matthew Hopkins like prancing about in tights. It's like it's serious to the point where it's not really serious anymore. It's like it goes beyond serious. That's what I mean, to- right? It's like a seriousness trap. <laughs> it's like yeah quicksand of seriousness that pops you out in the circus it's terrifyingly bizarre and like deceptively fun i don't know one of the headlines the from around the time when this film first came out yeah there were loads of headlines that were like this is sick ban it or whatever but here's my favorite headline from around that time which is a film that even offends the man (laughs) holy shit (laughs) Which brings in a pretty straight parallel to Barbie. <laughs> sure. Maybe the Barbie same movie. is our gener this generation's Barbie is the Zoomers Devils. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it didn't offend me. Um I would find it really hard to be offended by a movie of this type. Do you know what I mean? I well, I don't think I can be offended really, but it's just especially one so silly. Like the yeah. knows it's being silly. It's it's being silly on purpose as a as a way to bring you in to the horrible things that are happening and are going to happen. But like, yeah. it's all told with like a, quite a strong sense of fun that you can't, you can't argue with it. Mm. That's probably the, the main issue is that people are like, I'm having too much fun watching these nuns wank. Yeah. And some people just can't handle that. So Ken Russell called it his only political film. Yeah. I read that. Obviously it is very political and it's still, to this day, feels fresh mm. in terms of that message. We're still in a world where fucking sinister hand of Jesus Christ is trying to steal our rights. Not our rights, obviously. We've got penises, but, you know, the, right, the rights of our contemporaries. Jesus. Yeah, uh, wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> <laughs> It feels relevant, yeah, for those exact yeah. same reasons. When are we ever going to live in a world where religion isn't fucking everything up? Or, sorry, no, where, like, people practicing religion in obnoxious ways aren't fucking everything up. Yeah, you only have to look at the the current American right wing and obviously yeah. what happened with Roe v. Wade and what they're trying to make happen with gay marriage and all of that stuff. Mm. It's insane. Yeah, and it's it's just another example of the wrong shit being censored. Like... I'm anti-censorship across the board, but don't take this away from people. Have this on a shelf and people can choose to watch it if they want to or not. And yeah. you can choose to be offended if you want to or not. It's. I would almost go as far if I was, you know, if I had a couple of beers, I would argue that this is not offensive to anyone. <laughs> I would fight that corner. I think it's, um, I think people are offended by things that are clever. And I think people react defensively when they feel outwitted by a piece of art. And that is not the same as making an offensive movie. I think the problem is the viewer. Yeah. And fuck them. I don't have any time for it. I completely agree. Obviously, the offense, like we said, is I am being lampooned here. Mm. My beliefs that, you know, everything should be homogenized and the same under the umbrella of Christianity is the thing that's being lampooned here. I mean, I also think that there's a reading about like, how we hold up our idols to impossible standards. Um, I mean, literally, it's not subtle. Sister Jan sees Grandier as like a Christ figure in her dreams. Yeah, amazing. The, the crucifixion scenes in her dreams are absolutely beautiful. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. And then when they when they let us down, when they do something to to upset us, in Grandier's case, he marries someone that he ostensibly loves, as far as we know. 
so obviously that's the inciting incident for everything is that she's so scorned by that but yeah like how people sort of hold up these idols and how they hold people to impossible standards that they can never hope to attain obviously we know that grandier is forever not attaining those standards but as far as anyone else is concerned he is until he until he isn't until he is a charred femur being rammed in and out of a nun's vagina yeah it'll happen to all of us eventually sam fucking i hope the um (laughs) you picked the perfect word there it is a lampoon this isn't like a meticulously crafted scathing piece of like christopher hitchens essay writing against religion this is kind of poking fun almost in the most like grand verbose way possible sure but it's not i mean it is scathing but it's doing it in a in a way that i think offends because people feel ridiculed and that's fine get over yourself (laughs) they are you know enjoying it too much yeah. Because it's fucking fun. Yeah. I think if you can't watch a movie that takes the piss out of you, you need to have a bloody long chat with yourself. Like, guys who are offended by the Barbie movie, like, I think the Barbie movie hurt a lot of men. <laughs> like, it really hurt them. And I found myself feeling quite uncomfortable while I was watching it. But I wasn't offended. I was just acutely aware of how much I suck. And that's really fucking important. What is art supposed to do if it's not holding up a lens to our existence and our experience of the world and making it more acute in some way for a brief period of time? Barbie yeah. and the devils do the same job really well. <laughs> Completely agree on all counts. Should we take a little breaky brew and come back to give our summer P final thoughts? Fuck yeah. Will you give it up, man? Nobody's out there. We're alone. Oh no, there's somebody out there. I'm picking up all this crosstalk. Right, we're back, Sam. Here we are. Why don't you give me your final thoughts rundown and score for 1971's The Devils? It's great. I got to give it two separate ratings. One for my enjoyment of the movie. I'll give it three crushed trumpets out of ten um, because I found it fucking hard work. But in terms of like a more objective review of the movie, I'm giving it nine sopping wet charred femurs out of ten. There's just not much you can fuck with. Like the performances, the writing, the message, the artistry in the presentation of this movie the visuals everything about it you'd be really hard pressed you'd be picking nits to start stripping away uh value in this film so yeah a really fucking accomplished piece of horrific cinema and a hard recommend for anyone who cares about the themes we've discussed and anyone who wants to see two artists at the absolute peak of their performance career just nailing it front to back for the duration yeah not fun but fucking good I think it is fun. I knew you would say that. <laughs> I mean, it's it's fun when it wants to be fun and it is not fun when it doesn't want to be fun. When it wants to when it wants to be like you were just having fun. Yeah, it's you're in fucking... control of that for sure. Yeah. It like literally turns to you at, not literally, but it turns to you at one point and it's like you were having fun 5 minutes ago and look at you now. <laughs> now look at you. Now you're crying. I feel like if Oliver Reed turned to the camera and said that directly to the audience it would still be fine. Like, it yeah. kind of basically fucking does. But that, again, that's that's a filmmaker in total control of his material, and I have nothing but respect for that. It's great. Yeah, I, I mean, I 
like we said at the jump, this is one of my all-time favorites. Might be the back end of my top five. Like it's it's basically a perfect movie to me. The only thing that makes it imperfect is the scenes that have been cut. Mm. The fact that they aren't there to see it in its full glory. Obviously, there was a lot of stuff shot that didn't make it into the film, but but those two scenes specifically were meant to be in the film, and they were they were removed at the behest of the BBFC. The American cut of this is even shorter, I think. There's a couple of other things that are missing. More of the church and state stuff, really. Mm -hmm. More of Grandier's uh, proselytizing at the end, where he's like, you know, you're all fuckheads or whatever. I don't think he says that. Mm. But that's that's some of the yeah, that's some of the stuff that's been cut out of the American version, probably because America are the one of the most sort of guilty parties for church and state skullduggery, tomfuckery. Definitely some of the most like hypocritical. I guess. Yeah. I mean, the, I was thinking while a lot of that final scene was unfolding, in what countries are they cutting this burning at the stake short? Because it's really long and there's a lot of really important dialogue in it, which you don't normally get in a burning at the stake scene. No. So what do you do when there's essentially something really graphically violent happening that also contains loads of great dialogue? And I was just thinking, oh my God, I bet so many audiences don't get to see the full version of this burn. Yeah, and that's the case. And it's... Uh... It's a real tragedy because it's amazing. I mean, if you are in America um, and you you want to watch this, try and find the full cut because you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah, wherever you are, try and get the most complete version of this. I mean, the full yeah. cut's got to be like closer to two hours, right? Yeah. Well, I think the, the there's no version where the rape of Christ and the the charred femur scene at the end. Mm is back in that 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 doesn't exist yeah or it doesn't exist in in a commercial setting at least mm. the longest version that's out there at the moment is i think the, the dvd that we both have um which is about an hour 51 with those scenes cut back in maybe cut back how they're meant to be probably maybe would run one hour 55 so 56 yeah and it's it's hard to it's hard to imagine what the conscience of somebody who cuts that stuff out of the film looks like not cool yeah, well, I so I heard in this documentary that I watched a few years ago that Ken Russell and um, whoever was head of the BBFC at the time had a fairly cordial relationship because obviously they had crossed paths a number of times before this. Um, and so before they put it through to the BBFC, he, uh, Ken Russell showed him a cut of it and was like, what do you reckon? Mm-hmm. And he was like, this stuff's got to go. Oof. And Ken Russell was like, go fuck yourself. And then he submitted it to the censors. <laughs> Legend. And they, were, and they were like, this shit's got to go. It's The movie to me is quite standalone. It's kind of incomparable. Like I see, I see its influence in so much other stuff. And I see like, I see a bunch of like Suspiria, I feel like I'm watching a Terry Gilliam movie at times. There's a bit yeah. of a fucking Basil Luhrmann thing going on at one point. <laughs> and all of that's great. So, you know, this has to be like a real little touch paper for a, a bunch of other great stuff. And it draws on so such a rich, you know, quintessentially like British take on, you know, the medieval period and just ramps up the, the art school bullshit. It's great. 
yeah. the Gilliam the Gilliam thing there is is something that I had not really ever considered, but obviously right. it's it's really clear now you say it. Like, and like I think obviously you, you mentioned the the pythons earlier, but like the aesthetic is very similar. Mm. The the sort of sublime and ridiculous jutting up against each other is you know peak pythons, but also like that's Ken Russell's bread and butter. Yeah. So like. Yeah, and even like the the subject matter that that Terry Gilliam works with, like imagine Ken Russell's fucking Don Quixote. Yeah. Like that would be, whew, wonderful. It'd be pretty fucking great. I mean, imagine Baz Luhrmann's The Devils. <laughs> Not so good. <laughs> Baz Luhrmann is a director that's got lost in his own style. Yeah. Like I really liked. I mean, I really liked Romeo and Juliet. Hmm. I liked. Strictly Boring, which came out before that. These really sort of intense stylistic films. Yeah. But like Australia and Oof. I mean Moulin Rouge or whatever, but like it's it's fine. I think it's watchable, but it's it's it sort of loves the smells of its loves the smell of its own farts a bit too much. Yeah, dude. Um he did the Elvis movie, right? Yeah. That was fucking bad. I really liked it. Oh, really? I watched it on a plane, so maybe that tainted my experience a little bit, but fucking Jesus. I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, I thought like the, the, the idea of Elvis movie is like he's a superhero. I really dug that. Yeah. I think I would maybe need to be in a different mood to enjoy that movie. I think for me it was like it was like a Saturday night. It was like we had a nice takeaway tea. We sat down, it just come on to Sky or whatever, and we were like, boom, yeah, Elvis. It might be like one of the only Hanks performances that I think just outright fucking sucks. I can't stand that performance. I rate it. I Dude, think if I, I went to fucking Haverhill Art Centre and saw someone in an Amdram <laughs> performance pulling that shit, I would be like, boo! <laughs> Shit's oh. bad. Remove the fact that it's Tom Hanks and we literally worship every single tiny little thing that he ever does. Fucking terrible accent work, bad makeup, comically yeah. shit visual like presentation of the character, awful dialogue, and just no fucking butter in the sandwich. Just not very good. Yeah, it's, it's sad that we'll never get to see that Paul Giamatti performance <laughs> as Colonel Tom in Bob and Osferatu. Fuck, dude. Put Giamatti in there. Put Giamatti everywhere. I know. Rub him spread all over it, Spread him on your toast like Marmite. Damn right. What's, but what's your rating? You didn't give us a rating. 10 crocodiles out the window out of 10. <laughs> 15, 15 little glasses on the nipples with hornets in them out of 16. <laughs> like it's, 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 it's amazing. It's yeah. feverish. I've said feverish 400 times in this podcast, <laughs> but like there, there are no other words. It's like, it's an assault um, in the best possible way. And... <laughs> Would you consider getting the femur tattooed on your body? Yeah. Good. Just checking. <laughs> it's already taken over. <laughs> it's a good tattoo. I mean, I think I would love to get a devil's tattoo. I think you should. I think the the most like memorable visual for me is the femur, but a close second is the trial with all the white hoods and the red crosses. That and Oliver Reed with a bald head and shaved face just like all of that is so burned into my you know movie psyche forever i think but dude that fucking femur i think 
like we didn't talk about um grandier's look in this as well i think what a luscious fucking mustache perfect in in the weeks after we've just watched crimson altar mm. with that pathetic little fucking glued on <laughs> eyebrow situation it's like, so perfect oh, it's so good he looks good in this he's in just, a sort of yeah he's sort of a bit flabby and a bit you know stout or whatever but like he just he just embodies a man that looks 10 feet tall i think he looks really strong and that's a huge yeah. part of it you don't expect your uh your, your smooth talking priest to be particularly robust i think sometimes the trope is is at the other end of that spectrum but he's so well put together in terms of how they've made him look in this film like his costume's perfect his hair his makeup his mustache his movement just everything right up until the second he is a charred femur in a nun's vagina is perfect <laughs> yeah it's worth also saying that in the burning scene it gets really really graphic big time it, like blackened flesh bulging eyes graphic yeah, like buboes all over his face type stuff. Shooting through the flames, POV at both sides. Really quite painful to watch. Obviously, at that point, we're also miles away from bits that are meant to be funny. Mm. But they still drop some humor in that bit. They've still got some fucking funny lines. Like, there's the guy that's meant to strangle him. He's like, I was going to strangle him. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, but I, that's a, tro you know, I don't want to say it's a trope. Maybe it is to me because I just fucking seek this shit out. But like executioner mistakes and yeah. the relationship between executor and executed uh it's something i fucking absolutely love in in fiction i was just devouring every second of that and th there's a bit where i think i can't remember who says it but somebody says it's not every day baby sees daddy burn to death and holds up a yeah. baby to watch the burning that's funny as shit and it's right in the middle of the harshest part of the movie so still kicking you squarely in the urethra right up until the very end yeah it's like you say it's so controlled it's so careful yeah it's just oh it's beautiful yeah they don't make them like this anymore sam they really don't and that seems like such a throwaway comment but it's so fucking painfully true they just don't no what was the last film that you would consider truly blasphemous i haven't reached my blasphemy threshold i just don't i'm so removed from what offends people about blasphemy that i lack an objective barometer <laughs> i just don't fuck me dude i don't know uh I'm trying to think of like films that were constantine <laughs> yeah it wasn't that there was one with orby plaza as and some of the gals as like nuns that like to fuck i like that too much to find it even remotely yeah, I mean, it is objectively I, blasphemous. It's the definition of blasphemy, right? But yeah, like I, I don't mean, mean that like the 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 that we consider blasphemous, that the world considers blasphemous. Well, people are idiots, right? People thought dogma was blasphemous. Like dogma, dogma suffered some censorship bullshit, and it's yeah. I mean, whatever. Like um, blasphemy. Did you I mean, see First Reformed? No, it was a Paul Schrader movie with uh, I think it's Ethan Hawke. Right. That's pretty good. I would recommend that. Life of Brian. Yeah. The Exorcist. These are all fairly run-of-the-mill, though. I don't have deep-cut references for this, to be honest. I think the most blasphemous thing I've ever seen is what I saw at that Cradle of Filth show. That was phenomenal. <laughs> and in the flesh, which made it feel a thousand times better.
Yeah. Stuart Lee's stage production of Jerry Springer, the opera. Right. That was, that was shut down. So that was, I don't know if you've seen that. It's like the first half of it is a typical episode of Jerry Springer, but it's an opera. Yeah. And then at the halfway point, Jerry Springer gets shot and goes to hell. Mm. And then it is forced to mediate between the problems of Jesus and the devil, Mary and Joseph, because they are, when you boil them down, like the, the virgin pregnancy and stuff like that is Jerry Springer stuff. Yeah, for sure. So the characters in the second half are all played by the same actors who are in the first half. Right. And one of the characters in the first half uh, who ultimately ends up being Jesus or playing the same role as Jesus is uh, a guy that's like a giant baby that looks to shit himself. Right. So the the religious nuts didn't love that. They did not love that. I mean, Book of Mormon, it's not blasphemous against Christianity, but it's... I don't know, man. I think this is probably the most blasphemous movie I've ever seen. I think there's much more... I don't know. Is it blasphemous because it's because it's good? Or is it, like... Is it would good because it's blasphemous? Well, yeah. But, like, would you consider, I don't know, some, nine, uh, some 70s Italian nunsploitation that's literally just, like, nuns getting raped by Nazis or whatever? Like, would you consider that more or less blasphemous than this because this is actually good and has something to say and that's just like <laughs> non-vagina yeah it's it's like different degrees of blasphemy right i think if your blasphemy is backed with mind and brain uh if it's critical thinking blasphemy <laughs> that shines a light on you know the the hypocrisy and the you know the sort of exploitative nature of religion then that's the kind of blasphemy that i find more uh entertaining i guess sounds like a weird thing to say than you know your sort of basic you know, everything you just mentioned uh, i don't think it elevates the blasphemy but it elevates the material which makes the blasphemy more enjoyable um yep does it maybe make the blasphemy more blasphemous because somebody's thought about it it's not just like i'm here trying to get my cheap rocks off with your you know knickers yeah like I've I've thought about this and I've decided that your religion has no fucking place in government. Now fuck off. Also, here are some nuns wanking. Yeah, because it's more of a an attack. You know, it's it's a lampoon with teeth. Uh, yeah, I think it makes it more effective. Like it utilizes blasphemy for a purpose. It's not just exploitative or pornographic. It when it is pornographic, it's for a reason and that is ultimately what makes it so effective, I think. Yeah, I think it is good because it's blasphemous and it's blasphemous because it's good. <laughs> well, on that note, Sam, why don't you tell the good people how they can support the old Final Transmission Boys? First of all, if you're not following us on social media, you must be new here. Go do that now and then bring Daddy back change. And then I want to see you write a review and hit that five-star button because we've earned it. We know how good we are. Now we need you to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how this works then i need you to tell all your friends about the podcast okay go do that come back tell me how it went show me the breezes and then i want you to join the patreon i know you can afford it don't fucking pretend you can't join the patreon beyond that your life is yours to live enjoy final transmission jamie what else can the good people do i think they can do that don't forget to tell uncle larry don't forget to yeah sam said follow us on social media it's ft horror show 
we've mentioned it a couple of times, but there is some good shit coming up on the Patreon. We're going to get real fucking festive, right up your boats. Like, it's going to be a good time. I'm going to get drunk and get festive. Are we going to get, are we going to have some beers on the, uh, I am. Festive, I'm, festive I'm in control booses. of what I do, and I'm going to drink a big old fucking jug of wine. <laughs> maybe I'll, maybe I'll, I'll go grab a bottle of whiskey. Ooh, there's an idea. Oh, fuck me. Maybe I'll have whiskey. God damn, I was so sure I was going to have wine, and now I might have whiskey. There's only one way to find out what we drink on this Patreon episode. <laughs> That's to give us money. Thank you for listening to Final Transmission. Uh, I had a blast talking about the devils. Jamie, thank you for spending some time with me, flapping them gums. Yeah, good fun. Good times. Merry dead priest to you. <laughs> and the same to you. Ah!